Worshipful brethren, brethren all, welcome to Freemasonry in seven minutes or less. In this episode, we will be asking, is Freemasonry a religion? This series is called Freemasonry in seven minutes or less, but today I hope it's a little bit more than the two second answer. On that note, over to you, Brother Earnshaw. Well, your two second answer is no. Okay. <laughs> it is not a religion. But let me just uh, expand on this. Uh, so originally, uh, it was a was founded on Christian religious principles. And uh, if you understand the history of the time, you'll realize the reason for that. Uh, it would be very difficult to, to do otherwise. I mean, setting up an esoteric society it, uh, would have been closed down very quickly by the authorities. Uh, so just to expand on this, now um, a belief in a God or a supreme being is, uh, a, is the requisite to join the society. And the second is a belief in immortality. And so these two things sound like religion, but um, uh, we don't treat it as a religion. Anyway, we talked about immortality in a previous podcast. Yes, yes, we did. Um, from that statement, would you say it's fair that it's unlike a religion as there's no dogma? Yes. So we're not bound to other beliefs like transubstantiation or um, the infallibility of the Pope. We, we're not bound by these beliefs. Sure. However, um, each uh, degree has an opening and closing prayer and a lesson is read from the Bible. Um, the Bible, uh, because it has Christian overtones, uh, is we now often call it the volume of sacred law. And therefore, we can put other um, sacred documents, uh, for, for example, the Tao Te Ching or uh, uh, the Vedas for Indian um, belief, uh, also the Quran. Uh, these can be put on the altar according to the wish of the member. Um, also, uh, when a person is initiates, initiated, he swears an oath using the name of God, uh, according to who he answers to. Yeah, so this to me sounds more like a procedure, such as being sworn in, a, in court, than a ritual or a religious ceremony, as there are no ritual acts aimed at any specific de a deity. Would you say yes. that's fair? Yes, no, I think that's, that's exactly it. It's, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of history in Freemasonry, and it hasn't been updated to, for example, like, um, uh, uh, for example, uh, political correctness. We haven't <laughs> uh, updated it for that. So, um, but that's part of the charm of, the, of Freemasonry, I believe. Um, I also believe that the third degree was designed as a kind of medieval mystery play. So in the um, 1200s to about the 1500s, uh, workers' guilds um, adopted patron saints. And every year they would have a big festival and at the festival they would put on a play. And there were different types of plays. There were um, 
ma magical plays and mystery plays and also religious plays, uh, the lives of the saints and things like that. And they got bigger and bigger and they started touring the country. And sometimes the performances would last over a week and have 300 actors <laughs> coming on and off stage. And there would be a lot of uh, partying and it was a time for relaxation and uh, often done in autumn uh, after the harvest had been brought in. Um, but so Freemasonry was the third degree has that f flavor of, of these medieval mystery plays. And I think it's what kept the authorities from prosecuting Freemason for being either subversive to the government uh, or practicing occult. Um, also, there's the, the threat from Jacobites and the Inquisition to be taken into taken to hand. Secondly, uh, the ritual of Freemasonry is non-denominational. So from the beginning, Catholics were as welcome as Protestants to become, to become members. And this was uh, very, um, uh, let's see, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, advanced for the time. It was very, because um, at the time Catholics were frowned upon in England and uh, were, there was a lot of prejudice against Catholics. They weren't allowed to hold offices in government. They weren't allowed to hold military positions as officers. Um, there was a lot of discrimination against them, mm. but in Lodge, they were equal. Yes, I suppose you could see that as extremely progressive for the times. That's the word, progressive. Two, two yes. Christian denominations being yes. joined in a single, single institution. Fascinating. Yes, yes. So what happened is then from the 1700s to come into the 1800s, the Victorian times, and Freemasonry spread into colonial, uh, into the colonies, uh, like India and Africa and also the uh, West Indies. And uh, we can see this from the writing of people like Rudyard Kipling, who is a Freemason, and he writes about Freemasonry in India. Uh, in India, particularly, uh, Freemasonry grew very fast. Then what happened was when England pulled back from these colonies and uh, started hand Victoria handing over um, the government to uh, Indian Maharajas, um, Many Indians came back from India or people had been raised in India and they'd also been Masons and they came back to England and they wanted to continue in Freemasonry. But then they brought their own gods and beliefs with them. And so over time, the Christianity of the ritual was toned down and now it became a universal brotherhood of man. On the topic of Rudyard Kipling and the spread of Freemasonry in India, if anybody's looking for a really good lockdown film, oh, I yeah. highly recommend The Man Who Would Be King, starring Sean Connery and Michael Caine. It's two British officers, two British army officers who are also Freemasons on an adventure in a fictional land close to Afghanistan. And they're confused by the locals with ancestors of Alexander the Great, briefly ending up as divine rulers of the kingdom before meeting an untimely end. It's well worth a watch. And if you are a Mason, you'll certainly see a lot of signposts and, and, and things in there. 
And I think it might actually be the most plagiarized film in Hollywood history. If you ever look at certain <laughs> scenes and certain motifs, they're in a, yeah. they do repeat in a lot of, lot of later productions. It's, it's quite interesting yeah. and it's worth a watch. Great. So then the final point is we mentioned briefly previously, but um, the idea of immortality and everybody in different religions have a different concept of what immortality is. So around 1920, um, Roscoe Pound, who was the dean of Harvard Law School, uh, he wrote that he recommended a belief in immortality be replaced with a belief in the persistence of personality. So he was um, trying to incorporate religious syncretism. Uh, so, and he added, so that the doctrine of the transmigration and ultimate nirvana would meet Masonic requirements. Well, uh, over time, this wasn't adopted and a belief in immortality is still one of the landmarks of the craft. Um, Another point is that over the years, many leading Christians have been Freemasons and they were attracted to the craft because it, it kind of gives another dimension to that, to their life, um, not just fraternity, but also the uh, charity that we, we uh, get involved in. Uh, there were, for example, Norman Vincent Peale, uh, who was a member of the Reformed Church of America, and there was Rabbi Seymour Atlas, um, friend of Martin Luther King, and Bishop Carl Sanders of the United Methodist Church, as was uh, General Douglas MacArthur. No, mm -hmm. He wasn't a Christian, I don't know. <laughs> um, but what it comes down is to is that masonry is part uh, theater, part charity, it's like a chapel, uh, it's a fraternity, it's a, a debating society. It includes ritual, faith, and esoteric knowledge. And I think it's unique in the world. I think you're correct. And, <laughs> and thus the society was created that's been a catalyst for many of the achievements of the modern world. So in conclusion, the short answer is no. And the long answer is also no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Earnshaw. And that brings this episode to a close. If you have any questions, please email on the link below. We now part on the square and we will meet soon. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.